0: Evidently, we're still not out of the woods, and we still have a ways to go. We knew that um, this uh, recession was going to have its high and low points, and I think that this tells us uh, in the month report that just passed is that we still have a lot more to do.
1: Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg.
2: And I'm Adam Davidson. Today is Friday, December 3rd. And that was Labor Secretary Hilda Solis, you heard at the top, on the program today, how you, yes you, dear Planet Money listener, could be funding the bailout of Ireland.
1: We are going to explore a theory that the plan to rescue Europe may be a giant shell game, and at the center of this plan is this trillion-dollar fund. Now, Adam, if I say to you, a trillion-dollar fund, how much money would you think would be in that fund?
2: All right, I feel like you're setting me up is it because it's in Europe, so it's in euros? It's a 750 billion euro fund?
1: No, fine. Okay, let's do it euros. 750 billion euro fund. How much money do you think is in there?
2: All right. I know you're setting me up, but uh, a <laughs> 750 billion euros?
1: Wrong. You've been set up. Uh, it actually has no money in it, not a single euro, not a single dollar, not a single cent. And we are going to explain all of this in a minute after the patented planet money indicator from our own Jacob Goldstein.
0: Today's Planet Money indicator is 7 million. Uh, There are 7 million fewer jobs in America today than there were in America three years ago, back before the economy fell apart. Uh, This is according to those jobs numbers that came out this morning. And, you know, Jacob, we we get these economic statistics every day something comes
2: out, and I've become sort of hardened to the bad news. But I I have to say this morning when the government released the jobs numbers, I think it's the first time in a while my heart really sank. I actually felt a little a little scared. I was reading this report about how most economists were forecasting that the economy would add about 150,000 jobs in the last month. That's around what you need just to keep up with all the new people entering the workforce, You know, kids graduating high school or mothers going back to work after taking time off for their kids or whatever. So 150,000 jobs added. It's not great, but it's at least we're holding our own. But when I saw that the economy had only added 39,000 jobs in the last month, I was like, oh my goodness, are we just deeper in a hole than I realized? And I already thought we were in a pretty deep hole.
0: And, you know, a, a lot of the time these daily numbers, if you look at, you know, the short term one month or something, there's a way to look at a bigger context and it's different than it seems or not as bad as it seems. But we were talking about this this morning. The jobs picture is bad any way you look at it. It's really bad. In this past recession, we lost more jobs than we've lost in any recession since World War II. This past year, we're supposed to be coming back, but the job growth is just so anemic. Basically, the estimates I was looking at this morning were saying we're going to be above 9% unemployment for the next year.
2: And this is – I remember Adam Posen, a great economist, told me around 9 or 10%. That's when everyone feels like the economy is lousy. You need to get down to 7%, 8% just to start feeling like there's a recovery. Obviously, eventually, you want to get to 4.5%, 5%. So the only hope really is economic forecasts – are often wrong because so many of them right now are that we have at least another year of a really lousy economy before we can at least begin to feel forward momentum.
0: So basically, we're pinning our hopes for 2011 on economists being bad at predicting the future.
2: W- which it
1: should be said that they, they are actually pretty bad at predicting the future. So, so maybe there is something to hope for there.
2: Well, Jacob, thank you for bringing us this grim news.
1: Yes. Thanks, as always. Thank you, guys. Okay, so Adam, on with the program, as you know, the government of Ireland last Sunday agreed to a bailout, and part of that bailout will come from this wonderfully named thing, the European Financial Stability Facility. Now, you know it has a complicated name, but I imagined that the mechanics of this thing would be pretty straightforward
2: yeah, I, I just picture like there's a giant bank account effectively somewhere, and all the governments of Europe through and. Some billions of dollars and in euros into it, and when a country's in a lot of trouble, they can just go to that giant bank account and and withdraw some money.
1: Yeah, and that's 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 basically what I thought too. But then I was talking to you know a semi-regular here on Planet Money, Shotojit Das, who has made us swear that, that we only mispronounce his name once a podcast, and from then on we could just call him simply Das. He's a former banker and a risk consultant, and he's the author of the book Traders Guns and Money. And he was telling me about how this fund actually works. And what he was telling me actually blew my mind. So that's what we're going to be talking about today on the program.
2: But, Alex, I think before we get to the mechanics of the fund, I think it will be just helpful to set up the problem the fund is supposed to solve. So as as Hanna did a great job of explaining on the podcast a few weeks ago, the Irish government made this huge, unprecedented promise to take care of any of the trouble its banks get into. And what we've now learned is the Irish government doesn't have enough money to make good on that promise. They weigh, way over promise. Now, lots of governments, including, of course, the U.S., have made lots of big promises and gotten in a lot of debt. But Ireland is finding that nobody is willing to lend it money to pay off the promises it has made. It just can't convince investors around the world to lend them money at anything like a reasonable interest rate. Right.
1: Countries, you can think of them sort of like people. If they seem like good bets, they can borrow money at at relatively low interest rates. But if they seem risky, just like if people seem risky, the rates they have to pay to borrow money go up.
2: Right. So like in Europe, Germany is considered the safest economy. They have the most money, the healthiest economy. So they can issue bonds. They can borrow money at less than 2% interest, a, a very low rate. Ireland has to pay more than seven percent interest. Now, for human beings, you know, if you got a credit card at seven percent, that, that's a pretty good rate. But for a government, especially a government like Ireland that's in massive, massive debt, seven percent is basically unsustainable. They can't afford it. So it's basically Ireland cannot borrow money.
1: Right. And Ireland's in this acute situation, but there's a lot of other governments in Europe that are also finding it harder and harder to find anyone to lend them money at at a reasonable rate. Portugal, Belgium, Spain, even Italy, they're all facing higher and higher interest rates when they try to borrow money, and that could eventually land them in the same situation Ireland's in. And that is where this 750 billion euro European financial stabilization facility comes in. And this is where Das and I started our conversation.
3: This facility is going to basically borrow from the markets, which is 750 billion euros, and lend to whoever needs it.
1: And, and before so, – sorry, just before we, yep. before, we, before we go further, I just want to set up – I just want to make clear something that I think is clear to you but might not be clear to other people. When the, when the European Union says we're going to set up a 750 billion euro facility or a, or a trillion dollar facility, they are not saying we're going to – hey, we're going to chip in a bunch of money that we have lying around into this big pool that's going to be a trillion dollars. What they're saying is we are going to set up this thing. We're going to call it the – what is it? The Stabilization Fund. And yep. that fund will borrow money from correct. whoever is out there that has money to lend to them. And then that fund will lend to the troubled countries throughout Europe that need the money. That's correct.
2: Alex, I'm, I'm a little – confused about something. So so investors you know, around the world are saying, we don't want to lend money to Ireland and Portugal and Spain because we're afraid they're not going to be able to pay it back. So why would they say, oh, but we're perfectly happy to lend to this facility, which will then lend to Ireland and Portugal and Spain? I mean, isn't it just adding one middleman in between the <laughs> investors and the bad credit... In- I don't understand how it solves the problem.
1: Right. It is a problem. And and so the, the stabilization facility came up with what they think is a solution to this problem. They had these core countries of Europe guarantee the fund. So, for example, if you, Adam Davidson, loaned a billion euros to the stabilization fund and then it lent that money to Ireland and Ireland defaulted on the loan, then there would be 14 other European countries who promised to make you whole, in other words, who've guaranteed your billion dollars will come back to you.
2: All right. So it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm, I'm remembering a while ago, I, I wanted to rent an apartment and the landlord did a credit check and said, yeah, we're not crazy about your credit, Adam. <laughs> and I got my dad to co-sign the lease. And so we were saying to the landlord, you don't trust me, Adam, but you should trust my dad. So basically, Ireland is saying to the world's investors, okay, you might not trust us, but hey, look, my dad, Germany, is signing the loan. So if I'm not good for it, Germany's good for it.
1: Right, exactly. So the fund has this plan. They feel that like it's a very safe investment, but they need to prove to the world that it's safe for the world to lend money to this fund. If you want to prove to the world that you have a very safe investment, it's pretty clear what you do. Again, here's Das.
3: You go to the rating agencies, the famous Moody's, Investor Services, and Standard right. & Poor's and say, well, Mr. Rating Agency, we want this vehicle to be rated AAA. Uh
1: And
3: they look at this and go, hmm, so let's look at this vehicle carefully. What is your assets? In other words, what do you have? You have loans to people who
1: can't borrow. Terrific. (laughs) So that doesn't work. Loans to people who can't pay it back because of, yeah, exactly.
3: Well, they can't borrow because they can't pay it back. (laughs) So we're one step even (laughs) removed from not being able to pay it back. They say, That's not good. So what have you got? And you've got these guarantees. They said, OK, this is interesting. So who's guaranteeing this? And the guarantees are, they say, well, hang on, Portugal, who can't borrow, is guaranteeing this. Ireland, who can't borrow, is guaranteeing this. So you've got basically people who are being lent to, who can't pay you back, and the guarantors solvent either. So exactly what are you doing?
1: <laughs> the, the guarantors are the same people who can't borrow, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And he said, look at each other and go, yeah, you've got a point. It's like, it's like saying like, no, no, I can lend to the subprime borrower. Why? Because the subprime gar- borrower is guaranteeing the loan. Absolutely. Yeah. It's exactly
3: right. That's a right. very good analogy. Now, when I saw this, I just laughed because I said, isn't this identical
1: to the logic of the CDOs? Oh, man, <laughs>
2: Alex, CDOs?
1: <laughs> I know remember them right
2: so so many listeners will remember CDOs were that weird financial product that toxic asset that was at the heart of the subprime mortgage crisis it was this well it sounds awfully familiar now it was this incredibly complicated financial instrument that took a bunch of loans mortgage loans to people who really couldn't pay them back bundled them up did some financial magic and then sold off triple a perfect quality bonds to other investors. So when when I heard all this, I realized like my my analogy of my dad Germany co-signing my lease is not exactly right. Right? Cuz it's it's not just my dad Germany, it's my dad Germany plus my deadbeat cousin Spain and my deadbeat cousin Portugal and Italy and Belgium all getting in on signing this lease.
1: Right. Exactly. So it's like you've got like the sort of the more responsible members of your family, like your rich dad, Germany, and maybe some rich uncles, France and Austria. But then you've got a bunch of these shifty characters in your family, too, that are maybe a little bit less credit worthy. So now I will say, Adam, I did talk to the rating agencies about all this. And and they do make a convincing argument that this is not a repeat of the subprime crisis, that this triple A rating is legitimate, mainly because your dad, Germany, in this analogy it's like if Bill Gates was
2: your dad. They have a lot of money. Right, and and my dad is a New York actor, so so not Bill Gates. But, um, <laughs> but what if all those co-signing cousins, what if my cousin Spain and my cousin Italy and Belgium and Portugal, instead of guaranteeing it, have to start borrowing themselves?
1: Yes, the credit rating agencies say, yes, that would be a problem. If lots of these countries that are now guaranteeing the fund – turned around and became borrowers from the fund, and they were borrowing lots and lots of money, then, then this fund could definitely lose its its triple A rating.
2: You know, Alex, this really reminds me of the U.S. in 2008, before Lehman collapsed, before the real heat of the financial crisis. We had the Federal Reserve Bank and the Treasury sort of making these promises, oh, people shouldn't worry, don't worry, we have this whole system in place to keep the financial system secure, hoping that... No one would actually test it, and but investors kept testing it and testing it, and eventually they did basically bring the whole financial world to collapse, and the U.S. Treasury and the Fed had to basically shore up the entire financial system, bail out lots of banks. It, it feels like maybe Europe hasn't quite caught on yet, that they're trying to avoid pain by promising us they've solved everything without having actually solved everything. Is, is that what's going on here?
1: I mean, it's definitely, the, the analogy seems really, really accurate. because So this this facility, it was created in May. It's never actually been used yet. It's never borrowed a cent from anyone. It's never lent a cent to anyone. And the authorities in Europe were hoping it never would have to. They were hoping that just the fact of this fund's existence would mean it never had to get used. So like, in other words, if if investors knew that this fund was there to bail out Ireland, then those same investors would be willing to lend Ireland money in the first place, which would mean that Ireland wouldn't need a bailout. Here's thus. Unfortunately, now it
3: is going to be tested because what the European Union's worst nightmare is now coming home to roost, which is you have to trigger this. You actually have to trigger this. And, it's a and beautiful that's, what's happening with,
1: that's what's happening with Ireland. Ireland has now agreed to a European bailout. And that bailout is going to come from the stabilization. From the
3: European Financial Stability Fund.
1: So this fund is scheduled to make its first loan to Ireland in January, which means it will need to borrow money from investors around the world. And the governments of Europe have been going around to the leading investors of the world saying, hey, you should lend money to this fund so that we can bail out Ireland and potentially other countries down the road as well.
2: Uh, certainly. They, they've they uh, had several initial conversations with us already.
1: This is Scott Mather, and to the finance ministers and central bankers all around the world, he is one of the most important human beings on the planet. He helps run PIMCO, which is the world's largest bond fund. And remember, when you're buying a bond, you're, you're basically lending money. PIMCO has over a trillion dollars under management, which is basically saying they've lent out a trillion dollars, a lot of that, to governments all over the world. And they are a pretty key test case, because right now, PIMCO is not lending money to Ireland. Ireland, they think, is too risky. But the European Financial Stability Facility is hoping that they will lend money to this facility, which will then lend money to
2: Ireland. So in a way, the, the whole point of the European Stabilization Facility is... Is, it's almost like a massive Valium for people like Scott Mather. So Scott Mathers really nervous. He's looking at Ireland and thinking, oh, God, they scare me. I don't want to lend them any money. And so Europe is hoping that this facility will make him feel really calm, make him feel like, okay, I can lend you guys money, and then you guys can go ahead and lend Ireland money. So, so if the whole thing is about shifting Scott Mather's anxiety levels, where is he? Is he willing to do it? Is he willing to give money to this facility?
1: Well, he's still not sure. He's waiting to see the details because they still haven't announced the details, how, how big the loan to Ireland will be and, and that sort of thing. But he says if it's just Ireland, he's pretty sure it's it's probably a good bet. After all, you've got all these other countries guaranteeing this thing. But he says that if some of those countries that are currently guaranteeing the fund all of a sudden turn around and become borrowers from the fund in the future.
2: So that's like all my deadbeat cousins who are co-signing my lease suddenly turn to all the other cousins and say, hey, can you lend me money too? I know you co-signed Adam's lease. I need you to co-sign my lease and pay part of my rent.
1: Exactly, exactly. That's exactly the problem that he's worried about. And also, there's this.
2: To the extent that uh, the countries like Ireland and Portugal draw on the program, uh, and countries like Spain and Italy are required to, to guarantee uh, some amount of debt, uh, there's no question that's deteriorating their own credit worthiness.
1: So the more Ireland taps this fund, the more that adds to Spain's already sizable debt burden.
2: Correct. All right. So so I'm having trouble getting someone to give me a lease. So I've got my deadbeat cousins co-signing my lease. But by co-signing my lease, their landlord is looking at them and saying, wait, you already were in debt. We already were nervous about you. And now you're saying that you're obligated to Adam's Lisa, we we're even more worried about you now, so that makes them more likely to need to bail out themselves. Which means that this fund of 14 countries is likely to be a fund of 13 or 12 or 11 or 10 countries, all needing to bail out more and more and more countries. It's just like this circular thing that that if it spirals out of control, will just make all of Europe way worse off i mean is this the european destabilization facility
1: (laughs) well and a lot of people are saying like let's talk frankly that the the core the linchpin of this whole thing is germany and, and and also to a lesser extent france and so if the whole thing blows up basically the only people who will still be standing are germany and france and a couple of other smaller economies that are pretty well managed and and a lot of people are saying like let's just talk frankly are you guys willing to bail out the rest of europe or not because it might come to that and if it does come to that then it becomes even more uncertain because politics starts entering this whole thing very quickly i mean can you imagine a german politician running on this platform if elected i will use your tax dollars to bail out the mismanaged economies of your european cousins
2: all right no no obviously the people who run this facility they have answers to all of this and and they think that they will convince scott mather and the other major investors of the world that this is a good bet it's well structured and and they can lend their money to it and that makes me think of one last irony you know scott mather is not a trillionaire he doesn't have he's not investing a trillion dollars of his own money <laughs> what he's doing is investing other people's money he's he it's a bond fund he's Investing other people's hard-earned savings.
1: And as Das says, that hard-earned savings, that is the money that the stability fund is explicitly targeting.
3: Pension funds and other investors who buy normally highly rated, which is AAA-rated bonds.
1: So the people who are bailing out Ireland are teachers and postal workers? Absolutely. Are you and me? You and me, pension funds and and other... Absolutely. Yeah. So, Adam, I will tell you that if you want to get really depressed about the situation in Europe, DAS is a a good person to talk to. You know, for a lot of the reasons we we laid out here, he is dubious about the stabilization fund's ability to trick people into lending money more cheaply to countries like Portugal and Ireland and maybe Spain. And he's even dubious about the whole project of bailing out countries in the first place, like Ireland and Greece, for example. They both got bailouts. All of this with Ireland and with Greece
3: isn't going to fix anything because the fact of the matter is Greece obviously had to do certain things to its domestic economy like cut spending, raise, increase taxes. But the fact of the matter is the Irish have already done it, and that hasn't worked. So what's Mm -hmm. actually happened in Ireland is their economy has shrunk, wait for it, nearly 20%. So it's like the entire economy shrinking by 20%. Wow. Their unemployment is in the mid-teens. It's probably actually higher, but it's around the mid-teens as the official figure. Their budget deficit, including the cost of bailout of the banks, has forced their debt-to-GDP ratio from about 25 at the low to well over 100. So basically, what I would call the austerity cure, which is the IMF going to prescribe for Ireland, they've already taken and it hasn't worked. And the other thing is, if you look at Greece, which is trying to go through this, it hasn't worked there either. And the reason it hasn't worked is according to the best forecasts from the IMF, Greece's debt will go from €270 billion, which they can't afford to service and pay back, to around about 340 in five years. That's if they actually do all the things that the IMF is telling them to do. And if they can't service 270, can somebody explain to me how they're going to be able to service 340? Mm-hmm. It's quite an extraordinary, extraordinary set of assumptions that the people have made. So essentially, it's not going to work. And all we're doing in the meantime is basically muddling the issue, obfuscating the issue. But the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, the lenders to these countries. Will ultimately have to take substantial write-offs, and and, and right it's now it's going to be right. the shareholders, the bondholders, everybody's going to have to do that. And this is going back. Really, what we are doing is reverting back to the period of two thousand eight, end of two thousand eight, early two thousand nine, and the credit markets are again going to seize up.
1: Oh, really? You think it's going to get that bad? You think it's going to get as? You think it's going to get post Lehman AIG bad again?
3: It could. It could. If this thing gets out of control and there are signs that it is starting to get out of control, because after Ireland, people will go after Portugal and they'll go after Spain. And the problem is Spain, and particularly Italy, are huge countries with a huge amount of debt. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, it becomes very difficult to predict how this will work. I wouldn't wish the end of 2008 or early 2009 on anybody, but that is now a real risk. And it's not me saying that. The BIS, the Bank of International Settlement, which is the central banker to all the central banks, Mm -hmm. in April this year in their annual report said that the entire global financial system was very, very fragile. And they say this time if there is a shock of any kind, the capacity of the global system to cope is questionable. So what I'm just restating is exactly that, that if anything goes wrong here, it could get very ugly very, very quickly.
2: So, Alex, we we don't know exactly what's going to happen, and we certainly all hope that the worst-case scenario doesn't play out. But many very serious, responsible people are saying there's at least a reasonable chance of a very catastrophic situation in Europe spilling out to America and, and the rest of the world. And I think it's helpful for me to just kind of think through how that might happen. So I guess it would start like Ireland would say, hey – we need to borrow from this fund. We're, we're in a lot of trouble. They borrow from the fund.
1: Maybe they borrow more than people were expecting them to borrow.
2: Right, a few billion more. And then people who had been lending money to Spain and Portugal start saying, huh, now you owe all that money to Ireland. We're a little nervous about you, so we're going to stop lending you money.
1: And then they need to maybe come in and borrow money from this fund, and maybe it turns out that they need to borrow a lot more money than people Expected and so then the fund is now lent out instead of just like ten billion dollars to Ireland, maybe it's lent out a hundred or two hundred billion dollars to various
2: governments throughout Europe. And then it loses its AAA rating, as the credit rating agency said it might, and then it basically collapses. It's no longer functioning.
1: Right, exactly. And then and then there's nobody left to lend to these governments, and so perhaps. They'll have to actually default. Like Ireland will actually have to say, okay, we give up. We can't actually pay back the loans that we owe. And you're just going to have to um, take a loss. The people who lent us money are going to have to take a loss. And when that happens, that is the scary part because that's where the exact roadmap of how this crisis might proceed gets very murky because people just don't know what would the effect of like a country defaulting be. And you can sort of think like Ireland is like, comparable to 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 lehman brothers lehman brothers wasn't the biggest bank in the world it was it was important but it wasn't the biggest bank but when it collapsed it had all these sort of unforeseen consequences and so people worry the same thing could happen with ireland or portugal or spain it defaults the people that lent money they they don't get that money back maybe they start defaulting on other people and then
2: this whole cascading situation happens and nobody knows anything, which was really the heart of the crisis in 2008. You look at any bank anywhere in the world and any government anywhere in the world, and no one can figure out how healthy or unhealthy they are. So the entire financial system just grinds to a total halt.
1: And it's that uncertainty that is the scariest part of this whole thing.
0: Like a bro-
2: You can find more information about the latest job numbers and an awesome great graph by our own Jess Jang showing which sectors of the economy have lost the most jobs on our blog, npr.org money.
1: And also please send your letters, complaints, fan mail to planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook.
2: I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.
0: The damage has been done.